The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... You know, life with any disability is all how we deal with it ourselves rather than what the consultant tells us to do or the diabetic nurse. It's all to do with living a normal life as is possible for you at the time. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another day, another episode. Hope you're keeping well. Hope your day is going good. Hope your week is going good. I know that this is just your favorite part of the week, every week. So I'm I'm delighted that you're joining us here again. And I just want to address something quickly. If throughout this time together you hear a loud drilling noise it's not somebody breaking into my house it's builders outside absolutely tearing up the road so don't be concerned i'm hoping that it doesn't occur while i'm recording but i've been waiting pretty much the whole day for them to stop and i think they've stopped for a while so that's why i'm trying to to squeeze this in here Anyway, the guest that I have on today is also from Ireland. She is from County Louth in Ireland, much like Mary Lennon, who we had on the last episode. Her name is Geraldine Rogers. She is a type 1 diabetic and has been living with type 1 diabetes for over 60 years, which is a lot longer than the vast majority of people who listen to the podcast. I was really looking forward to this episode because I know what a normal day for me entails. You know what a normal day for you entails with regard to managing your blood sugar each day. I was very curious to know the differences between daily management 60 plus years ago compared to today. So enjoy this chat as much as I did and I'll chat to you soon. Put it back like this, basically. I was born in 1947 I was diagnosed in 1952. My mum and dad never heard of it. I was the first child diagnosed in a Lady of Lourdes hospital. My dad 
I don't know how, there was no computers, there was no laptops. He got so much information from abroad. He joined the diabetic, English Diabetic Association. Uh, we got cookery books from England and Mama used to make buns. You know, I never, I have three sisters. I was never, ever any different from my sisters. But it was a wonderful life. I mean, I was spoiled rotten and the nuns were brilliant with me. And I think the discipline my parents give me was wonderful. And I think it's the reason today I've little or no side effects. No, I'm not saying in another six months, another year, another 12 months, my heart, eyes, kidneys can still fail. But that's a combination of 70 years living with it and age. You know, so there's so much out there that there's very little reason why diabetics of today should have complications. If they do what their consultants do, I've never missed an appointment with uh, my consultants ever. And that is my eyes and my um, diabetes clinics. I've never missed them. I think that's so important. I read, you know, on some of the emails coming in on Facebook about, you know, people who don't attend clinics. Well, how can you expect to be doing well if you don't attend clinics? They're the Mm. ones with the knowledge. We have to live with it, but they give us the knowledge and teach us how to live with it. It's up to us to take that knowledge home and to live by that knowledge that they teach us. Exactly. See, the the thing about it is is that we might see our doctors or nurses a handful of times, if even a year. But then the vast majority of the responsibility comes down to us because, as you say, we're living with it. We have it 24 hours a day. So it's important that we take the important information. We, we do our own research. We learn about things so that we're controlling it to the best of our ability each day. Yes, yes. yes. I mean... Oh, nobody lives in a straight line and nobody should live on a straight line. We all, I mean, even people who are not diabetic go out and get drunk one day or they go out and they don't come home when their mum and dad tells them to. <laughs> None of us live on, you know, I mean, I didn't ever, but I told the line at home and I would still do it now. But if I'm, if I'm out for a night or a day or on holidays, that I have to have my holiday for my diabetes. So when I go on holidays, I have my holiday for my diabetes. I have to take all my medication and all my bits and pieces with us. But I will have an extra drink or I'll have a dessert or I'll have an ice cream and live like a normal person. So you like to give yourself a break from things when you can. If you're going away, you almost take a holiday from your diabetes at the same time. (laughs) Well, um, I can remember a statement my husband made, who is the absolutely brilliant person um peter is his name and he said once to a few friends of ours and well free going away and wherever we were going or wherever um because i suppose we can travel more often with not having uh, children and he said but Geraldine can't always have her holiday like the rest of you she has to take her diabetes with her which i probably never thought about it he said it you know and he said it to some of my sisters uh, oh, you have a great time. Yeah, but Jordan still has to take her diabetes with him. He didn't continually say it to them, uh, which is very true for all diabetics. We don't ever get a holiday. Our bodies go away and our minds go away, but our diabetes comes with us. Hmm. So it's how to cope with it when you are away. 
to maybe mentally think you're on a holiday or forget about it until you take the hypo and then, oh my God, here I am again. <laughs> of course. There's always a friendly reminder waiting for you <laughs> close enough. Always, always. No matter how good or how bad you are, you'll always get the reminder. Um, you know, but there's, I suppose, what do I think about being a diabetic or how did I cope or live with this? Um, how did I cope? I'm no different from anybody else. I had good days. I had bad days. I'm a great person for putting up a big front once I go out the door. How are you, Jordan? Great. Not a bother. Nothing wrong with me. Um, because nobody wants to know. And nobody, only your partner, really cares, as I'm sure everybody with any disabilities realize. Um, there's only, you, you know, your immediate family that in my case my husband really cares I would say you know you must put the bright side out because diabetes no matter how short a time you have it or how long you're going to live with it it's manageable you can live with it I've traveled a lot of countries over the world I've gone alone I've gone with Peter I've gone with friends you never ever in your life say, I can't do that because I'm a diabetic. When I was very, very, very young, I wanted uh, to go to Ranafast. And my father said to me, at 11 years of age, don't say you can't do it, Jordan. We will try everything we can to get you there. And I had to take needles and syringes and uh, boil them in the morning before I go to school in Ranafast. And my parents, who did not speak Irish, uh, came to visit me and had to stay outside of the Gaeltoc, but they came to make sure I was all right. So even at 11, which is, you know, over 60 years ago with me, never say, I can't. You can if you want to. Can't mean won't. I sound kind of boring. No, no, no. It, it, it's amazing to hear and... What, what I find so interesting is the fact that even at such a young age, you had that sort of mentality. So do, do you feel as if being diagnosed with diabetes kind of brought that out in you where you thought, even though I have this thing, it doesn't need to stop me from doing the things that I want to do? And did I? No, I would have said my dad had horrific, very, very bad rheumatoid arthritis. and while he had hips, knees operated on, he never said to his four daughters, I can't walk off that mountain with you. He would walk up the mountain with us. And we might have to carry the picnic. Um, <laughs> or like uh, on one occasion, we were going to Dublin um, with me, the whole six of us in the car. And daddy had a puncture in Dublin. And his daughters had to get out and fix the puncture at his instruction how to do it. And people walked by and criticized him. And as he said, that is their business. We know what's wrong with me and I can't do it. So he taught us all, I suppose, to be strong, um, to live life to the full and never say I can't. And that's one thing I would always say to everybody. Don't say you can't. Say you don't want to. But don't say you can't do something. I, I think it would have all come from my dad and mum, really. I, I don't know 
how strong I am. You know, I am now, but I mean, I'm old. Um, but they would have made me what I am today. Yeah, it's really nice to hear. So you feel as if your dad's experience obviously played a massive role in terms of how you personally dealt with your own diabetes and still to this day, how you deal with your diabetes. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. He he gave up sweets until I finished school. He never ate a sweet um, until I finished secondary school. He gave up sweets for me so they wouldn't be different at home. That's very nice, I have to say. Takes out all the temptation from your house if there's if there's not much going around. I could still sneak out of the sitting room and pretend I'm only going to the bathroom. <laughs> You know, in my time, diabetes were always going to the bathroom, but I was never in the bathroom. I was always seeing it was there a sweet or was there something I could take. I mean, of course I did take things. I mean, everybody did. Geraldine, I'm curious to know how your daily routine or your daily management of diabetes has differed over the years. How your daily routine and your management today compares to when you were first diagnosed in terms of finger pricks, insulin injections, carb counting, these kind of things. What's different between those two times in your life? Oh, uh, life is wonderful today, I would say, in comparison to, you know, as I said, 70 years ago, um, which 70 years ago, all I could eat was Brasilla bread, which none of you would have heard of. My first party, mommy came with me and I had my Brasilla bread and a boiled egg. That was all I had at the party. Nowadays, I can go anywhere and have what I want, when I want, because I can carb count with my pump. I'm on the 780G pump, and um, it is brilliant. And I would recommend all diabetics to get on the Daphne course. Um, It is wonderful to help you and teach you all the carb counting. Um, I would highly recommend the 780 G pump. It is a lifesaver. The carb counting, wonderful. It's one of the, what would you say, big, big changes for me in my life, I would say. Uh, I, I would count it one of the biggest changes. And the, the carb counting and the pumps, all of the different types of pumps. It's not just Metronic. There's loads out there. But I would really say that it changed my life in that I don't have to eat at eight, one and six. I can. Um, you know, now go out, say, for instance, today and play golf at lunchtime and not worry about having to eat at one o'clock. I can have a normal life, normal lifestyle now. Like years ago, you had to check your urine. I mean, you're either blue or orange, but you didn't know if your blood sugar was uh, 1.9 or you didn't know if you were 30 um, and urines. Whereas today, like, you can know exactly how you are. You don't even have to look at your pump. You can only look at your phone and you'll know. Or people are more up to date than me who have it on their watch. I don't have that. Oh, today it's absolutely a billion times easier to live with diabetes. That's very easy for me to say. If if my child or neighbor were diagnosed tomorrow, they mightn't say that. But in comparison to my time living with it, different lifestyle altogether is much, much easier to live with. Yeah, absolutely. And those advancements of the diabetes tech has just made life so much easier for people living with it. And even from my experience, I was diagnosed in 2012. So 
just about 10 years, the difference in how I manage my diabetes now is so much more convenient than what it was even 10 years ago. When you're a diabetic, right, so 10 years, what do you find the most difficult part of it? Good question. I usually don't get asked questions on my podcast, Geraldine. (laughs) The most difficult part. I suppose what I find difficult about it is how you have to be so consistent. And I'm generally quite consistent with things anyway, because my routine is always pretty much the same anyway. But sometimes when you think about the long term with it, that can be difficult. And that's why I was really looking forward to having this conversation with you today, Geraldine, because you have had it for 60, 70 years. And it's reassuring for me personally to hear about it and obviously anybody listening to hear about it. But I think the difficult part is just that long-term consistency that there's almost no escape from. Yeah, I, I can definitely and wholly agree with you there. But I suppose I would have been over my life, you know, there's just today. So don't worry what's going to happen in five years, 30, 40 years time. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? And in your case, because you're so young as well, don't forget, <laughs> you know, it's a couple of years. You know, there's not in my day. Well, if there is, I I don't think I I should be going forward for it. I think younger, naturally, people be going first. But but what I'm saying is, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Live for today. There's no tomorrow for anybody. You live for today and then if you get up tomorrow, then you live that day or whatever. Um, You plan for tomorrow, but you don't live it. You, You live today and you plan for tomorrow. So I've never thought of, you know, what if... Uh, except on one occasion, Mr. Blake was my eye consultant and he's the most wonderful, wonderful person you've ever met. And on one occasion, um, he said to me, Jerry, are you worried about your sight? I said, no, I said, I'd rather go blind than have kidney failure. Now, I'm talking about this is 40 years ago or more. And um, that was my um, feeling at the time when I was asked the question. You know, if, you know, I'm always told about my eyes, heart, kidneys, um, I would probably would hate my kidney to be the first one to go. And every time I have blood test on, how are the kidneys? I never ask. That's the only question I ask. What about the kidneys? (laughs) (laughs) And you're all good so far. Nothing nothing to worry about. So far, so good. Well, they're telling me I am anyway. (laughs) Good. That's good news. Good for everybody to hear. You mentioned there earlier about how when you're checking your bloods, you would check your urine and you said, I think it was either blue or or pink. Was that something that you had to do every day to check your blood sugar? Yeah. Do you mean when we were doing the urine testing? Yeah. Just in terms of your daily management, how would you check your blood sugars? Well, uh, today now I would still uh, do blood sugars more often than we're asked to do it um, because I'm not as reliable on technology as younger people, which is wonderful. And I believe technology can be wrong. Um, So like sometimes I would do my blood sugars more often than is necessary to do them with having the pump. Um, And you could see two of a difference um, between the pump and the blood test, and your blood is more accurate than the what you call it than the pump. So I will also rely on the blood test, and that's what I will gauge on when I'm at home. I think the blood tests are a wonderful 
to have, and I would always still do the blood test, even though you don't have to. Yeah, I'm the same. I always never like to fully rely on my tech because obviously there can be differences between our actual blood and then the the CGM or the tech that we're using. But when you were initially diagnosed, how many times a day would you have checked your bloods? Oh, well, you wouldn't do blood tests in my day. You were doing urine tests. There was no blood tests. And would you go a certain amount of time without doing that? Or was that a daily thing? Oh, no, you were doing it all four times a day minimum. And then, as you say, it was either blue or pink. And that would be the indication of I'm high or low. Yeah, yeah. What happened to me, the first 12 months that I had it, I've only ever been in a coma twice. And the first one was I was, my urine was blue all the time. Now I'm only going back and what I'm told, my older sister remembered it, I don't. And I went into a coma at home. Mammy thought I was getting better because my urine was blue all the time. They, it, when, when it was tested, it was blue. And you put five drops of war, of urine and 10 drops of water and you put a tablet into this little funnel and it used to fizz up. I used to love to see the fizz up and it would go to the colour. <laughs> Dear God, I'm easily amused. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, my GP, which would have been Dr. Anthony McGuinness at the time, came out to the house and he had to send for another doctor. And my older sister loved telling me years later that he put a funnel up my nose and mommy had to boil water and the dissolved sugar and water and to put the sugar into the tube down my nose to get the sugar into me because there's no glucagon injections. You couldn't give me anything orally because I'm out cold and they get me round. Now, I have absolutely no recollection at all of this. And um, then I was taken to hospital, but it didn't happen again. Next time it happened was I was actually in hospital and I had no warnings at all. So I just decided to go to sleep and then they wakened me up with a drip. But there was only twice now, thank God, in my life um, that I personally went out cold. And had you any idea that your bloods were at that level for so long, which led you to fall into a coma? Uh, no, no, no. Because um, for low blood sugars, I mean, you can go into a coma in a very, very short time. You mm. know, we're talking about minutes. You know, you can go, I mean, if your blood sugar uh, goes low and you don't do anything about it, uh, or you're not able to, it's not always the diabetic's fault at all, even though, you know, when you go into hospital and your blood sugar is very low. And why did that happen? There's not always a reason. But uh, no, I, from a very early on, I have never had much warnings. I can give you a lot. I mean, people want to laugh. I worked in a Carl's and PJ Carl's. Um, uh, we were up in the Dublin Road and op- it was open plan. And I was running around all the different offices with a sheet of paper in my hand. And one of the girls running in after me, where I'm in a hypo and I don't know I am. <laughs> well, it's very comical because everybody else watching me. <sighs> I don't know I'm doing this when I'm in the high point, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, again, my friends were very good and looked after me and got... Uh, in those days, we were given milk. Half a cup of milk was the same as two spoons for the sugar. So it was the same as your 150 mils of Lucas Aid. Um, so they got milk for me. 
that was going to be my next question. If, if you had a low blood sugar, which we all do, yeah. how did you treat it? So milk was the standard go-to. Well, you know, the wee sachets of sugar that you get in restaurants or coffee shops, and I had my bags and pockets full of them. And I'd always have them on me in school or um, when I got older, traveling, you know, everything. I'd always, and I would take two of the little bags of sugar when I'd be going hypo. Yeah, it's crazy to think. Home or in somebody's house, I would take milk. And did you like milk? (laughs) No, I don't like milk. (laughs) It probably just reminds you of low blood sugars. Yeah, yeah. And I hate Lucasade. I still take it, but I hate it. Yeah, I've had too many bottles of Lucasade over the years, I have to say. That was part one of my chat with Geraldine. And for anybody who doesn't know what Lucasade is, Lucasade is basically a really sugary drink that a lot of diabetics in Ireland and the UK would use to treat a low blood sugar. So I have had probably hundreds of bottles of Lucasade over the years to treat low blood sugars. Anyway, as you know, if you are listening on the day of the release of part one, part two will be out tomorrow. Otherwise, if you're listening on any other day, the next episode on the list will be part two. It should play straight through. So enjoy that. Again, thanks for listening to part one. Part two just up. Chat soon.